1: That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality, so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle, find love at first drive, and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car
0: buying should be. Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to development. Hell. I am your host, Josh Korngut. I am the managing editor of Dread Central. I am also a filmmaker in Toronto, Canada. This podcast is a proud member of the Dread Podcast Network. Usually on this podcast, we tackle topics of films that have been trapped in the development health cycle, but for the next four episodes, we're going to be doing something a little bit differently. Stay tuned and find out more about Cheaper's Creepers Unseen in just a moment. Jeepers Creepers is an iconic horror franchise spawning 20 years, four films, and a passionate fan base. But this community has become increasingly divided as public awareness surrounding its creators' disturbing crime continues to rise. This new true crime podcast, Jeepers Creepers Unseen, aims to unearth this controversial franchise by reviving its past, contextualizing the harm perpetrated by its creator, And by also taking an honest look at why this property is important to so many horror fans with a fourth movie now out from new filmmakers jeepers creepers unseen aims to ask if this well-loved film series can reckon with history and thrive or is now the time to move on we're looking for these answers and more on the all-new four-part limited audio series jeepers creepers unseen Episode three, the crime. So on the third episode of the series today, we're going to take a difficult look at the crime committed by the director of the Jeepers Creepers franchise, as well as discuss the survivor who was impacted. Today, I am joined once again by Jules Bruin. Jules is a trauma-informed counselor who specializes in addictions and mental health she's going to be here to help contextualize the crime that we're talking about and also give us some insight into the impact abuse has on victims. Hi Jules, welcome back. Jules, can you reintroduce yourself to the Dread Central audience?
0: Yeah, hi, thanks for having me again. I'm Jules Bruin And I've worked in the field of trauma, substance use, and mental health for over 10 years now. Specifically, we work usually with women and genderqueer folks, a lot of whom have experienced different forms of abuse in childhood or even in their lives now. Yeah, so I'm just really glad to be here to kind of bring my lens to all this stuff.
1: Yeah, we're really happy to have you back. It was so great talking to you last time about the first three films in the franchise. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And today we're getting a little bit more serious digging into the crime, the perpetrator of the crime, but more specifically, the survivor, Nathan Forrest Winters. Today we're going to be sort of separating the episode into three sections. We're first going to talk about the setting where the crime took place, not specifically where the abuse took place, but how the victim and the perpetrator were sort of in the same professional setting. Then we're going to talk a little bit about the different very powerful figures in Hollywood that were able to enable some of this behavior. And then last but not least, we're going to take a real close look at Nathan Forrest Winters himself, sort of through his own words, and hear what he has to say about all of this. This is a Jeepers Creepers podcast, and so most of these episodes are sort of surrounding the franchise in some way or another. We talked a lot about... Um, The perpetrator, Victor Salva, the director of the films, in the first episode and even a little bit in the second episode. Today we're not going to be talking so much about his biography or even what he did specifically. So if you need that context, I definitely suggest revisiting the first two episodes. So Jules, the first thing I want to talk to you about today is... The setting, so the workplace setting where there was definitely like an imbalance of power between the person that committed the crime and the survivor of the crime. In an article written in 1995 in the LA Times, during the filming of... Clown House, which was Victor Salva's first film, and also where the survivor, Nathan Forrest Winters, was the star of that film. So during the filming, the sixth grader's mother, Rebecca Winters, herself began to be concerned that her son was being tormented both on the screen, but also on the set. So in the Los Angeles Times, she said, Victor said I couldn't go to the set. He said Nathan couldn't work if I was there. I just had these feelings. I confronted Nathan and he admitted it to me. He said, I have a secret and I can't tell anybody. So in April of 1988, Salva pleaded guilty to five felony counts, lewd in the vicious conduct, oral copulation with a person under 14, and three counts of procuring a child for pornography. He was sentenced to three years in prison and was released in 1989 after serving only 15 months. The Winters family sued Coppola's commercial pictures for $5 million, but Winter said that he eventually sold out of court, unquote, for barely over hundred thousand dollars. So I don't know where exactly the abuse took place, but it definitely seems like it happened during the filming of *Clownhouse*, this 1989 horror film that Salva created. Jules, why do you think it's possible for such, you know? difficult and horrible crimes to be committed in plain sight on, this, like, such a high visibility setting? Like, why do you think something like this is possible somewhere like this?
0: Some people turn blind eyes to things. They don't listen to their instincts. They don't listen to those, like, eyebrows being raised when, when they might notice things going on. And that could be for, like, a plethora of reasons. But I also wonder on big sets if that's, like, there's a lot of money in this, right? I don't want to stop filming. I don't want to think about... And also, like, set there's so much like in the film industry there's so much power imbalance and children are are really being exploited in many ways so it makes a lot of sense to me that he would have so much access to this child to be able to kind of really groom him create Mm -hmm. this 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 situation
1: what about a professional power imbalance leads to people's vulnerability
0: it's the power right it's 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 horrifying Mm -hmm. if you think about it right like especially A child who's now being put onto this thing and being told, you know, this is a really important opportunity, like Mm -hmm. you got to do this. These are your mentors. You have to listen to them. You have to learn from them. You're really being put in a situation where you are trusting these people that are in power over you. Right. And so then if they are telling you again, keep these secrets, this is how we do things, you're forced to believe them.
1: So something that I want to get into next is how different powerful figures in Hollywood can have a certain persuasion on situations like this. We talked about how Rebecca Winters said that they settled for just barely over Mm $100,000 on a $5 million lawsuit. And I think one of the reasons this was possible is because of a very powerful hollywood figure being in the court of victor salva not literally in the court but like on his side and supporting him we talked in episode one about francis ford coppola and i want to dig into that a little bit more right now so also from the la times in 1995 Clownhouse was funded by academy award winner director francis ford coppola who made such films as the godfather and apocalypse now the director was impressed with salva's amateur short films Coppola was on hand for the filming of Clown House, since it was made in part at Coppola's home in Napa Valley. I didn't know of anything improper going on, although I had witnessed some things that caused me to raise an eyebrow, he says. Only in retrospect did things really add up. You have to remember, while this is a tragedy, the difference in age between Victor and the boy was very small. Victor was practically a child himself. And I think it's important to interject once again that Salva was 29 at the time and Winters was 12.
0: That's ridiculous. Like, it's such a ridiculous statement to... Why to
1: make... Why do you think he ma- would make a statement like this? Like, do you think he believes this... this I'm going to just call it bullshit, or do you think this is a systematic approach to, to just keeping someone safe from the law?
0: Yeah, I think it's more the latter. I think mm-hmm. he is trying to justify this, right? He's mm-hmm. trying to also justify why he didn't do anything in these moments when he was raising his eyebrow right like I just spoke about before there are probably lots of instances that people found like weird or inappropriate but they didn't do anything about it they just turned a blind eye to it for the sake of the picture for the sake of the money for the sake of the funding right Mm -hmm. um and instead of you know whistleblowing and getting their hands dirty they decided to just sort of let Th- things be and then when it all sort of blew up they're now all trying to kind of distance themselves or, or normalize it right uh-huh. and so that's why they are making up this total bullshit
1: i think you you could be right that it's could at the end of the day possibly just all be about money um also from the la times unquote coppola is not surprised that some people will never forgive salva they're entitled to feel that way he says but he has a real gift as a filmmaker the punishment has been completed he should be a citizen again. And asked a comment on the latest victory involving Salva, Coppola issued the, the statement, Victor is a talented young director. Do you think, and I don't like this as all conjecture, that it's possible someone like Coppola sees the talent in someone like Salva as being more important than a human life that it, the, the talent, which could therefore lead to money is, you know, it's, it's a worthy sacrifice, you know, to, to lose a child and something like that. If someone is so talented and brings so much to the table, do you think that is part of why someone like Coppola could be protecting someone like Salva?
0: Yeah, I, I do. I think, I think, you know, two things can be true at the same time. You can be a predator, and mm-hmm. dangerous and also incredibly talented and skilled yeah. right so it sounds like that that is the case and I think Francis Ford Coppola is just focusing on the talent and the skill and mm-hmm. the artist right and not really thinking about anything else and I think that's also you know we don't see sexual abuse as our society doesn't see sexual abuse as sort of a big of a deal as it is mm-hmm. it's sort of um, Swept under the table, it's sort of poo-pooed, it's sort of, you know, um, and so I think that's how people can be like, but focus on the art, but it's like, well, actually, the the impact is so much more devastating than I think for, for Coppola knows or other people know.
1: Yeah, so you're thinking there's a good chance that people just don't think it's that big of a deal that yeah. no one got physically maimed or murdered, therefore, yeah. how bad of a crime could this really be?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's sort of, yeah but at the end of the day like can something like this sort of be as oh as impactful as being like maimed in an accident yeah the
0: impacts of yeah. of this kind of trauma like is un- un- unbelievable and undeniable like it's it, it impacts the rest of your life it impacts there are like literal physical as well as mental symptoms of trauma like what like like you can get sickness you can get rheumatoid arthritis you can get there are things that literally happen because of trauma your your brain changes so so it's really and then and then when it happens when you're a child it's then now changing your brain chemistry as a child so it's impacting the entire way you grow up it's impacting the way you see the world the way you trust everything so Mm -hmm. it's 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 unbelievable the impact so to diminish that you know, to be like, oh well, you know, at least he wasn't, you know, whatever, physically hurt or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is is really naive yeah. and ignorant almost. Yeah.
1: And who's to say that the person wasn't actually physically hurt either? We yeah. Know those yeah. details. So totally. Um, in 2019, Nathan alleged in an interview with the Millennial Report that at one point, following Victor Salva's arrest, Coppola attempted to sue his family for five million dollars over, unquote, breach of contract or something. What does this say to you? Does this sound like (laughs) bullying? Does it sound like a fear tactic?
0: Yeah, it sounds like silencing.
1: And is that, you know, a common trait among abusers and enablers?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, especially in... The Hollywood and that where they use their they use their money as their power, right? Mm-hmm. um it, it can happen in all different sort of walks of life. Also, like people can use their their jobs, like in police or wh- whatever their job may be, as as this sort of form of really bullying and, and silencing to shut people up. But I think to kind of go to someone and, and say like this is a breach of contract because you like it's just clear that mm-hmm. they were just trying to scare this family and to stop and just to, to not talking about this anymore into not bringing this up to the public anymore so they could kind of continue to make films and make money.
1: It, that is what it sounds like to me also. And yeah. I mean, I would believe that this is not an uncommon tactic if this was the tactic you being used to continue on the thread of powerful people, specifically powerful people in Hollywood, mm-hmm. enabling crimes like these in the same interview, Nathan says something very interesting about Disney who hired Salva not long after he was released from prison and so on quote from nathan you've got people like eisner down at disney going on record and saying that it was a one-time inappropriate touching incident between a grown man and a consenting minor so i guess my first question for you is is there such thing as a consenting minor
0: no Absolutely not. That th- those two things are contradictory to each other. Okay. A minor cannot consent. That's and why a, is it, that? Is is. They don't have the uh, they don't have the ability to understand mm-hmm. what the impacts are going to be. They don't have the ability to understand sort of what sex is fully. So they mm-hmm. aren't able to really comprehend what's going to go on also they're so vulnerable they're able to be manipulated and their their thoughts can be changed by these people in power by these predators so they don't even know what they're consenting to because they have been manipulated and groomed into consenting
1: do you think it's this kind of mindset that led to something as necessary as me too occurring in 2017
0: absolutely absolutely i think this is something that happens so much more than we even know about even the Harvey Weinstein stuff like there's so Mm -hmm. much more of this going on um and so and like just all these reactions to this one case that we're talking about is like so it just paints such a clear picture of the, the sort of disgusting hiding that goes on and the you know all these other people that are that aren't necessarily the the actually doing the acts Mm -hmm. of sexual abuse but they're helping it they're aiding and abetting it kind of i think to the r kelly stuff right and Mm -hmm. all of his assistants and all of these people and how how, you know it's a team behind this predator
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and it sounds like there's a bit of that here
1: and do you think that these people like eisner at disney like coppola like the team behind r kelly do you think these people really understand the gravity of the crimes being committed
0: i think if they're honest with themselves they do i think there is a way to have sort of cognitive dissonance and kind of try mm-hmm. to compartmentalize things and try to you know, but I don't think that's a good enough case or that's a good enough excuse, whatever mm-hmm. the wording would be um, because I think if you're honest, they know what what is happening and they know the impacts and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I'm sure they could you know say we, we're all able to kind of block things out um, if we want to, but that doesn't necessarily mean. It's okay.
1: All right. So for the final section of this episode, I really wanted to take the time and get to know Nathan in his own words. So um, I found a really detailed biography written on Nathan's IMDb page. And I really want to stress that IMDb is not necessarily the world's best resource. And it's not necessarily a 100% fact that this comes from Nathan himself. But after reading it, it does seem authentic and so i thought it would be best to read it ourselves under the you know caveat that we're not 100 percent certain who would have uploaded it to imdb but i believe it to be winters so jules would it be okay with you if i gave a bit of a detailed biography on nathan Forrest winters
0: yeah, i'd love that i think we should absolutely be moving the focus to the survivor and the, the yeah
1: i agree with you so Born in June of 1975, 30 or so miles east of the San Francisco of San Francisco in Martinez, California, to an artistic flower child mother and vagabond alcoholic father that stuck around just long enough to learn that his first son had been named Nathaniel Forrest Winters, was a quiet, analytical, and well-mannered child with an eye for details and a passion for performing. Around the age of six, Winters and his family were introduced to Victor Salva, an ambitious 23-year-old amateur filmmaker that at the time was working at a daycare. Salva became a close and trusted friend to Winters and his family. At age nine, after much deliberation and protests from Salva, Nathan convinced Victor to allow him for a chance to audition for a part in his newest project, Something in the Basement. Out of 19 young and hopeful boys, Winters won the starring role. Also cast in this 28-minute short film was Winters' Clownhouse co-star Brian McHugh. Something in the Basement will go on to win first place in its category at the Sony Film Festival in San Francisco, as well as to win the attention of Hollywood elitist Francis Ford Coppola, who was on the panel of judges. With Coppola on as producer and a legitimate budget, Salva sent out to write the 1989 cult classic Clownhouse, with Winters in mind for the lead role of Casey Collins. The film would be shot on a grueling schedule in 30 days. One of the perks of working underneath Coppola's umbrella, the entire film was shot with the same cameras that George Lucas used to shoot American graffiti. The downside to this was that the noise made by the cameras was obnoxiously overbearing. They were so loud, in fact, every bit of dialogue and sound had to be dubbed over. Just as post-production began, Winters found the courage to tell his mother the truth and confirm her suspicions. Salvo was arrested and charged with 11 counts of child molestation. With the financial and moral support of Coppola, he would only be convicted of the four least severe charges, including, but not limited to, soliciting and procuring a child under 14 for pornography. Victor was sentenced to three years for a crime that took him six years to commit, of which he served a mere 15 months. Nathan has since been a powerful voice and advocate, working to promote a raised awareness towards the prevention of sexual abuse. He has said that being told at the age of 12 by Coppola that he would never work in the industry again really left a sour and bitter taste for the film industry. Winters began writing and performing music at age 15 and found his true calling. As frontman and mastermind behind his music project, The Seven Stone, he has recently finished his first film score for his documentary. The Boy, directed by Connor Fraser, a powerful no-punches-held-back survivor story that chronicles the darkness of childhood sexual abuse and his journey of healing that led him to where he is today. So that was just a little bit about Nathan Winters, who is the basis of a lot that's happening here on this podcast. I also want to take some time to talk about uh, an interview that he held with, with the Millennial Report in 2019, and then get some insight from you, Jules, on some of the things that he had to say. The first quote I've got is when you're a victim, you teach yourself, you train yourself to be conditioned and not listen to your gut instincts, to not listen to the sirens going off, to ignore the warning flags. So it wasn't really until after he was arrested, I really started to discover how wrong it was. As a therapist, how does that ring to you is this common way of, of feeling?
0: So common and so insightful the way he, he said it, like it's such a, such a beautiful wording. Um, again, it's so as humans, mm-hmm. our brain wants to make things normal. It wants to make us believe that we're okay. So if we have these sirens going off, but someone else in a, in a power position or someone that's older than us is telling us you're actually wrong. Everything is actually fine. Your brain then goes, okay, I guess I need to tell myself this is fine. I need to stop listening to these parts of myself. Right. And then it sort of, you, you stop you, you don't you develop a weird disconnection with your gut feelings because you're telling yourself and you've been told that those actually aren't right right that this uh, you actually don't know what's going on you don't know right from wrong you don't know your body
1: mm-hmm. is so this like, a coping mechanism or is this due to being manipulated by outside forces
0: i'd say it's both okay i'd say it's a bit of both i think it maybe starts from manipulation and then it, and then it happens and then it kind of turns into a bit of a coping
1: mechanism mm-hmm. to sort of you know keep ourselves um keep
0: ourselves okay right like yeah. and i think we talked about this in the last episode that some people can even like sexualize their trauma or remember mm-hmm. these these experiences of, of of rape um as like positive experiences again that's because that's the way we kind of can keep ourselves safe that's the way we can kind of or, or maybe even say like oh it wasn't that bad there can be that right it could have been worse it wasn't that bad There can be all this stuff kind of that we do to make, again, make ourselves feel better, feel safe, feel able to kind of get on with daily life.
1: In the same interview, he talks pretty openly about suicidal ideation. He says that the first time he tried to commit suicide, he was seven. Suicide was a very prominent thought in my mind during those days or during those years. Is that something that you see commonly with people that are going through a similar situation?
0: suicidality for sure is is really common i mean seven is incredibly young um i have seen it before i've seen you know i've i've met with folks that that you know had attempts when they were really young it's heartbreaking because again like it's it's this that feeling of never being able to kind of get through this trauma mm-hmm. and, and also just the, there's so much added pressure like when you're a child and you're working and you're bringing in income for your family at an age where you should not be having to do that, this adds a whole nother layer of not wanting to blow that whistle.
1: Mm -hmm. Possibly. Why do you think abuse like this, it it gets people to a place of suicide? What, why do you think it is so severe?
0: It's so all encompassing again, like your, everything Mm -hmm. is sort of being taken away from you. Right your autonomy, your body, your happiness, it's all being sort of taken by this predator. Mm -hmm. It's not just, and it's not just a one-time thing. Even if the incident only happens once, it is a long systemic thing of being groomed. It's, you know, it's all these other moments of being manipulated, all these other moments of being um, things that were inappropriate happening. So it's not just about this one incident that also was absolutely horrific. And even if, you know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. just really your safety is being taken away from you your sense of safety within yourself your sense of safety within a community within the world is Mm -hmm. now taken away and gone so if you don't feel safe anywhere even alone in your own body of course you're going to feel suicidal
1: yeah what does it take for a survivor at this place to sort of heal and come back like what what kind of a journey does it require at this point
0: yeah, there's um, three stages of trauma work uh, and, and you don't have to go through all three. The okay. first stage is really the kind of important one stage one trauma work, which is around just stabilization and, and getting to a place where you feel safe again in your body. And if you have things like flashbacks or trauma triggers, you're able to cope with them and handle them and they don't sort of hijack you. They don't take you over. Um, so you're able to like recognize them. You're able to ground yourself. You're able to be OK. You're able to just kind of be OK and be able to function. The, the higher stages are, are when you kind of go, go more into the details of the trauma to mm-hmm. then sort of really unpack them in a, in a safe way. Not everybody wants to go that far. Um, I'm sure Nathan probably did, because if you're if you're able to sort of speak on it or write things on it, you need to be kind of further along in the trauma journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, there is a lot that can be done. It isn't, you know, if, if anyone out there is listening right now that's going through it, like there is support. There is a way out you don't, you don't have to feel like this forever and you won't feel like this forever.
1: You talk about flashbacks. Is that something that's common with this kind of trauma?
0: Mm-hmm. It's, it's incredibly common. Flashbacks can be so many things. They can be just a smell. They can be a full going back into the memory. They can be just in your body. They can be um, a noise. It can be so many things. Flashbacks mm-hmm. are, are can be really awful um, and, and really like all encompassing and um yeah, so really learning how to come back to the present and not be sort of taken over by the the flashback is really important work.
1: How do you guide someone if they're dealing with something like that as a therapist?
0: I do a lot of grounding techniques. Um, okay. A lot of what we're doing is trying to again bring you back into the present because when you're in a flashback, you're kind of back. You're kind of going back into the past. We call it sort of parallel lives. Something happens to to ha- sort of like flip the switch. It's a trigger. And now you think you're back in the the past when that incident happened. And now you're back in it and you're back not feeling safe. So a lot of it's like, how do you remind yourself that you're here? You're in the here and now. You're actually safe. You're not in the past. You know, maybe it's pressing your feet against the floor. Maybe it's putting hands under cold water. There are different ways to sort of sort of rejig you back to where you are Mm -hmm. to kind of help you feel safe again.
1: So Nathan went on to talk about his opinions on Salva being able to work again in the industry. And I do find this to be a really interesting perspective. And I want to sort of share what he has to say. So according to Nathan in the millennial report, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I've never tried to stop the man from working at all ever. I don't go after all of his movies. I've never protested like Rosewood lane or nature of the beast or any of his films unless it was directly related to children or there was children involved in the filming. That's the only ever time, that's the only time I've ever protested any of his films or stood up and said like, Oh wait, let me blow the whistle here because this is the, because this is who the guy is. You know, I mean, everybody needs to remember what this guy has done, you know? So I find it very interesting and very compassionate that Nathan doesn't necessarily believe that Salva shouldn't be working. And I think that leads us to the really important question of, if someone commits a crime like this, Jules, like, do we prevent them from working in their chosen field? Like, how do we approach people like this in the aftermath?
0: Oof, it's so hard because I don't believe in evil. So I don't believe that Victor Salva is an evil person. Mm-hmm. So in that way, I don't want him to then, you know, not have any job, any work, any fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, the the impact that he had on this this one person, at the very least, um, is is really detrimental, and, and I think it can't be forgotten. And I, I really love that Nathan is is so. You know, we can't forget what he's done, is what he said, right? Like that's mm-hmm. that's so important. So I think it's it's really complicated because within a film setting, if he is the director, there is power imbalance. Whether or not that's with a child, there can still be power imbalance within adults, and there can still be manipulation and grooming of um, people eighteen and over. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I would be concerned. And that being said, and I think we talked about this in the last. Uh, the last episode like I believe in reform I, I believe that people can change but they have to do the work they can't just kind of do 15 months in jail and then come out and now all it's forgiven no there needs to be um, mm-hmm. proof that things have changed that you have learned that you have grown that you have taken responsibility and you you know now tools to never do things like this again um, and I, I don't think we've seen that from Victor Salva specifically Mm-hmm, um, I agree. and so in that way, I, I kind of don't think he should be allowed in these kind of situations where he where he has so much power over people, be it children or not, especially mm-hmm. not children, but even just people.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Um, it's bizarre having to separate art from artist even after the fact. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this is something that should be done at all times? Do you think it's a case by-case basis when it comes to actually watching or supporting his films?
0: So, yeah, I, I, I think it's, you know, supporting the art from the artist is totally case by case, totally depends on the artist, totally depends on the crime, totally depends on, again, what they do afterwards, how they come back, what they have done to, to, to make amends or change or learn. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't think it's black and white. I, I don't think anything in the world is black and white. Um, but I do think we need to hold... Um, human life human suffering um above talent you know above money Mm -hmm. so just because you know victor salva does have you know a very creative eye i mean the first two jeepers creepers were really kind of really great films Mm -hmm. um but that doesn't that isn't more important than this this poor young man's life
1: no definitely not You were saying it takes proof, it takes doing the work, and that just doesn't mean filling a jail time. Mm -hmm. What does the work look like for someone like this? What like what what has to happen? Is there is it therapy? What do they do if they want to change? It's
0: tough. It's tough. It is therapy. It's therapy and it's also just like going through different programs, but they're all therapeutic. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of learning what is going on for you. Why are you getting these, these sexual feelings? Why are you, you know, noticing when you're being manipulative, notice when you're grooming? Like, it's, it's really about becoming self-aware, but then also unpacking what's going on for you. Because a lot of these folks, I know in Salva's case for sure, have trauma themselves. Yeah. So how do we then unpack this trauma, but then also make it so that you're not inflicting the same kind of harm on others? It's a slow journey, but it it can be done. It just, there needs to be want. And unfortunately, our jail system, Americans' jail system, all of them, it's not happening in jail. Mm-hmm.
1: I, something I think about regularly is the fact that as a culture, we rightfully demonize this type of crime so extremely mm-hmm. that it might make it a very unsafe environment to someone who may, suspect they are suffering from these sorts of behaviors to seek treatment. So what do we need to change in our society for people like Salva to sort of come forward and look for help before they actually commit a crime or hurt people?
0: I mean, that's a great question. I think you're totally right. I think the stigma is unbelievable. And there aren't even a lot of programs for it. Um, because there's stigma, even in, in, in the helping professional, like even in, you know, my colleagues, there would be a lot of stigma working with someone like this that would come in and say, you know, I'm having these feelings or I'm noticing I'm doing these behaviors. There would be a lot. It would be tough. It would be, you know, we'd have to find somebody that, or a program that would really sort of embrace that. And I think we need to see this as a trauma response. And I think it needs to be looked at and cared for in the same way that we care for other trauma responses because that way we can kind of help prevent the the immense harm that can be caused from this response.
1: Jules, once again you've been super fascinating to talk to, really really insightful and I'm really grateful that I got to have this conversation with you. Before we wrap the conversation up today, I think this was probably the last time we'll bring you in for this specific <laughs> How series. Dare so I just you. wanted our audience <laughs> to get to know you a little bit better. So I just have a couple of questions I want to end with you on. Okay, sure. Um, you work with women specifically. Um, why is that?
0: I just see the oppression that has happened to, to most women. And, and I know uh, almost every woman I've ever met has been abused in some capacity. Um, and I just, because I see that, I want to work with folks that, need the support, that need to be held and walked with through their journey of trauma.
1: You also work with people that are um, engaging with the criminal justice system in some way or another. Mm -hmm. What has that been like for you?
0: I love the work that I do. Honestly, it's really amazing. I really think um, criminalization is, is awful, which, you know, involvement in the criminal justice system is a trauma in and of itself. Um, and again you know nobody's a perfect person and I'm I'm not saying that we should allow all crimes but usually these crimes are kind of a two-way street and if somebody's getting charged with assault the the likelihood that they're being abused themselves and that there is gender-based violence going on in the home is very likely Um, so you know I think it's really important that we hold these dualities of like people need to take ownership for their actions but we also need to understand where things are coming from and understand how to really work with people from a sort of trauma-based trauma-informed lens so that mm-hmm. we can actually help people move forward and, and move on and have successful lives.
1: I know that you do private practice mm-hmm. but you also work with the public. Why do you choose to do both and not just go specifically private practice?
0: Yeah so I, I mean I've opened up my private practice about a a year ago which you know was was new for me i just i think therapy should be free i think it should be something that's available to anybody who needs it um and so i i don't believe in a privatized system so because of that i just don't feel comfortable doing full-time private work that mm-hmm. being said I, I like to do a bit of it well one for money because we don't get paid anything <laughs> in the nonprofit world but yeah. um but also because you know if folks can't afford it that's great then they can kind of jump the line and it, like it's nice to be able to like offer to these folks too so that we keep um spaces open for folks that, that, that really can't afford it that are street involved or um on you know social assistance
1: are you still taking new clients or are you totally full
0: i think i have one space left right now but yeah usually pretty full i know
1: <laughs> if for some reason someone is interested in mm-hmm. speaking with you how would they get in touch
0: yeah through i mean psychology today uh-huh. uh if you look up juliana bruin e-r-u-y-n uh-huh. um you can find my profile and awesome. yeah reach out and then my phone number and everything is there
1: jewel thank you so much for speaking with me again it's always super super fascinating
0: thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it and uh yeah glad glad this is being discussed
1: Over the next episode, we're gonna talk about the following. We're gonna talk about the fourth Jeepers Creepers film, which was intended to be the start of a new trilogy without Salva's involvement. The first film, which just hit theaters, a couple of them, was not popular among the community. Some publications and even some fans are covering and cheering for this new release or possible new releases as normal, while there are others that would rather keep this franchise buried due to the crimes of its creator. And the themes explored in the movies sometimes, well, they're just a little too close for comfort once you know of Salva's abusive nature. We're going to ask a classic question of separating art from the artist, and whether this art is worth the kind of restoration that that would require. As horror fans, we love a franchise and we love to resurrect, but when do we say enough is enough? We're going to try to answer these questions and more over the course of this miniseries, Jeepers Creepers Unseen. Thank you so much for listening to Development Hell. If you enjoy this podcast, then please do us a major favor of leaving us five stars and writing a positive review. It really makes all the difference in the world. We'll see you next week with a brand new episode of Development Hell.
0: Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.